So hello everyone and welcome and thank you for joining us for what I hope is a very interesting and informative discussion today around some of the latest data in rheumatology. My name is Professor Peter Nash from Griffith University in Brisbane, Queensland in Australia. And today we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Amin Juba, Specialist Registrar in Rheumatology at the University Hospital of Leicester in the UK. So hi Amin and welcome. Thanks for joining us today. And we're going to be discussing a really very important issue today, a recent editorial paper of a means reviewing the evidence for venous thromboembolism risk with the JAK inhibitors and whether this risk also extends to the more JAK1 preferred or JAK1 selective JAK inhibitors. So this is a paper that's been published in Expert Opinion on Drug Safety, um, it recently published online, 13th of July. So let's start, I mean, by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Um, where have you come from? Where are you working? And what are you working on? Well, thanks for the invitation. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a registrar in uh, Leicester, which is in the East Midlands of the UK. Um, I work in a big uh, tertiary centre. And uh, in our department, we prescribe a lot of JAK inhibitors. Uh, and so um, in the UK, we have four JAK inhibitors that we that, that are approved. There's tofacitinib, uh, baricitinib, um, upadacitinib, and uh, filgotinib. And they've become more and more popular in recent years, especially to patients who are uh, uh, not keen on having injection therapy. So they've become a very popular option. And uh, it's important that recently NICE, uh, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, has approved using uh, upadacitinib and filgotinib in patients with moderate, uh, moderately active rheumatoid arthritis. So these are now accessible at a much earlier stage of the disease for many patients. Uh, but we also take into account the results of the oral surveillance study, uh, which uh, led to a black box warning for tofacitinib, but they're also extended to baricitinib and upadacitinib. Uh, and so because of, because, uh, of some overlap in the mechanism of action, and so the EMA now advises uh, giving tofacitinib uh, to patients over 65 only if there's no viable alternative. So uh, we looked at, um, we wanted to assess uh, the available data for VTEs in the JAK inhibitors to see if it's a class-wide effect, to see how that will impact on our uh, prescribing. Okay, so since oral surveillance, two questions. Has it affected JAK prescribing in the UK? And I'm sure the EMA review that's about to get published soon will certainly affect JAK prescribing. So have you noticed a change in prescription? And is there a tendency to, what's the market share like in the UK? Is it more um, UPA Filgo or is it still pretty much across the board all four? Um. I don't know if, uh, the numbers for that, but in terms of whether it would, uh, how it's impacted on the prescribing, we, we go by the, the EMA's recommendation there. So uh, what, what's come out from the data and looking at the other JAK inhibitors is uh, you have to take into account the patient's cardiovascular and VTE risk profile. So, if you, so the patients that were included in uh, oral surveillance were over 50 with RA and had at least one cardiovascular risk factor. And it was the 10 milligram twice a day tofacitinib regime that led to that significant imbalance in PEs and all-cause mortality, and that led to that treatment arm being discontinued 
and that led to the FDA and EMA recommendations. But uh, for example, um, if you look at the US uh, uh, Corona RA registry, there they compared uh, tofacitinib five milligram twice a day with other biologics and they didn't find any significant difference in VTE instance uh, uh, risk. For example, in the tofacitinib group, it was uh, I think 0 0.29 per 100 patient years and in the other biologics, it was 0 0.33 per 100 patient years. Uh, and in another um, post hoc safety analysis, they found that uh, among patients with uh, receiving tofacitinib at all doses in, also in RA, psoriatic arthritis and psoriasis, those who had cardiovascular uh, risk factors had uh, a much more, uh, much higher risk of VT than those that didn't. Uh, so we have to take into account the patient's um, uh, risk profile. But, you know, as, as you mentioned as well, we, uh, since, because uh, uh, with NICE, we're, uh, we, we, we take into account their recommendations because it has impact on health economics. And so because uh, NICE now uh, approved upadacitinib and uh, filgotinib with a lower disease activity score, um, we think that in future we'll see more prescriptions of those, of those agents. Yeah, interesting. And I think there's, there's more data to come. We were always concerned that the FDA has made a blanket class decision for every disease indication based on one head to head in one with one drug in one disease indication and the other patients with other diseases have much lower risk. But anyway, look, um, let's talk about the British registry, um, which is quite large, been going for a long time. They did give the background rate of VTE with TNFs. And from memory, it was 0.6 to 0.8 per 100 patient years. Um, that is kind of a background TNF rate, if you like, very different to what they found in surveillance, but we can't ignore the fact that there was non-inferiority with a good margin. So let's talk about VTE. Now, give me a feel before we get to your paper, what you think mechanistically the JAX could, why could they cause VTE? Because I've never seen published, and it might be because I missed it, but I've never seen any of the basic coagulation profile data published with JAKS. Von Willebrand factor, factor 5 laden, protein C, protein S, antithrombin 3. I've never seen any study where they looked at the effect of JAKS on those elements that we would normally look at in a pro-coagulant situation. I've seen something with um, platelet counts, but I've never seen any of that basic science. Are you aware of any studies that might give you a mechanistic reason other than disease activity and high-risk patient population that these patients should uh, would be prone to VTE? Lupus anticoagulant, anticardiolipin 3, you can think of lots of things that should be tested. And we've certainly put protocols to the companies, but there's much resistance in doing them. Are you aware of any data with those things? No, no, I'm not, but it's, it's very interesting. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, more work needs to be done to figure out the mechanism of how this happens, because some of the other side effects of JAK inhibitors, like uh, especially viral infections, it's more, it's, it's, it's better understood. But with the, uh, with, with the VTE, 
there's a lot of there's a lot of work needs to, needs to be done to figure out is it an on-target or an off-target effect. Um, and it seems counterintuitive that it, it, patients with RA who have a higher uh, uh, background risk of VTE, given the fact it's a, an inflammatory condition, it seems counterintuitive that when you reduce that inflammation, you actually see a higher uh, uh, VTE risk. So no, more, more, more work needs to be done uh, in that regard. Okay, so <clears throat> let's have a look at your paper then. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you went about doing it? So uh, we looked at all the, uh, the major studies uh, looking at background risk, uh, uh, looking at the risk of VT. Of course, they also include um, uh, the safety profile as a whole, but we, we zeroed in on, on VT risk uh, to, to make it, um, uh, uh, to, to just focus on that section. Because uh, the, in terms of VT, we know this uh, potentially life-threatening thing, and uh, it's important to take into account as much as it's important to take into account efficacy, you have to take into account safety. And uh, patients nowadays, they will approach and ask you these questions. So we wanted to have a good understanding of what the data shows, what are the pitfalls of the data. So it involved a, a literature review and we focused on the, uh, the main JAK inhibitors used in the UK. We also uh, briefly mentioned pefacitinib, even though that from what I understand is only used at the moment in uh, some of the East Asian countries. We don't have it. Um, uh, we don't have it in the UK, yeah, but we mentioned that one briefly. Japan mainly. Mm. Yeah, but what we found in most of the data uh, available was for uh, tofacitinib and baricitinib, and there are much less patient years of exposure available for the uh, uh, for, for upadacitinib and uh, filgotinib, and that's one of the things we highlighted uh, uh, in our results is that it's perhaps Although the data looks more promising for those agents, uh, it's too early to draw conclusions that they're risk-free uh, for VTE. So let's just have a look at some numbers here. Um, MACE is a separate issue. If we look at the VTE rates with um, TOFA in surveillance and we stick to the five milligram, what was the risk of TOFA in, a, in the rheumatoid population over 50 with a risk factor. Um, it was something like double or triple compared to a TNF, but the actual rates were pretty low for both. And yeah. very low for the TNF. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and, and like I said before, those patients who were there, uh, uh, you know, over 50 with at least one cardiovascular risk factor, so uh, that, that needs to be taken into account as well. All right, so the, <clears throat> the actual rates in with the, with, um, I've got the numbers here, <clears throat> five milligrams VD compared to a TNF, <clears throat> 0 0.3 was the incidence rate with um, TOFA, which seems less than the TNF in the British registry by half, and 0 0.18 for the TNF. So they had 10 cases in nearly 1,500 on TOFA, and they had six cases in nearly 1,500 on the TNF. So, you know, these things are, are not common, um, and there's a difference when you look at large populations, but it was a head-to-head -head study, and therefore I suppose we can't ignore it. There was differences in, in baseline characteristics like smoking and all kinds of other things, but that's a separate issue with lung cancer and mace. But 
Okay, so tell us a little bit about your findings and in particular, whether there was a difference that selectivity you think will make or not make, or you just don't know yet. So with the, uh, uh, with the second uh, generation agent, so with upadacitinib, um, most of the data comes from the select phase three uh, clinical program, and they looked at 15 milligrams and 30 milligram regimes, and they compared that against uh, placebo, methotrexate and adalimumab and uh, uh, they found similar uh, VTE rates across those groups um, but interestingly when they looked at the VTEs that occurred in the upadacitinib patients of all doses uh, they identified the risk factors as prior VTE and raised BMI. Then for uh, filgotinib we looked at a, uh, an integrated safety analysis and they looked at both the 100 milligram and 200 milligram dose regimes. And they found instance uh, rate in the 200 milligram regime of 0 0.2 uh, and zero in the 100 milligram uh, regime. And you think that means that the Pilgo might have less than the others or just that um, over time there's selection bias and you don't put people into uh, these phase three trials who are at high risk of VTE? Yeah, exactly. The, they they often exclude patients who have high risk of uh, you know high risk cardiovascular disease, um, but also uh, sometimes what happens is the uh, uh, if you only look at the uh, uh, placebo controlled part of the trial, potentially you can miss the VTEs that would happen in the long term extension part, uh, and so that can that that can lead to an underrepresentation or an underestimation of VTEs. The other thing I recall, the TNFIR study of upadacitinib in the first 24 weeks showed that they had zero in the control and they had four events out of 200 people followed for 24 weeks and they were most concerned because there's PEs and all kinds of things. But then as they continued that study, that those risks disappeared and when they did their head-to-head -head against the TNF and methotrexate, the VTEs were nicely shared amongst the three groups. So do you see any hint from your data that VTEs increase over time with any long-term follow-up? Because if you think mechanistically, then there should be more time, more exposure, more events. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, we have we haven't seen data that definitely proves that that it happens later on. But uh, if if for example you take um, if I if I give another example with baricitinib, when they did the placebo controlled trial in the first twenty, uh, I think it was the first twenty four weeks, uh, the baricitinib group out of a thousand patients there were six VTs, and that was just in the first twenty four weeks, uh, and there was zero in the placebo controlled group. Uh, but then when they looked at the data, they found that um, all six of those patients had VT risk factors. When they were switched over and those, and those patients in the placebo group had baricitinib, there were zero uh, VT. So those results weren't replicated. Um, so yeah, that, that, that makes sense. It could well be that it's something that happens in, in the early stages, but then you can't, um, uh, because we expect many of these patients are gonna be on these drugs for a long time, or we hope they will. So we need to take into account the long-term effects.
Well, we have seen with infection and probably with VTE risk that those at risk have events early and drop out and the people without risk continue happily on their medication with the control of the disease. So that's, that's a bit difficult. Um, in one of the studies, uh, meta-analyses, COX-2 inhibition was considered a risk factor. Is, is that your finding from this study? Uh, in, uh, in, in patients uh, on upadacitinib, when they looked at the uh, uh, when they when they looked at the fifteen milligram regime, I think they found that NSAIDs were a risk factor. But I, I don't recall COX two. But I I have seen that meta analysis. Yeah, where they where they mentioned that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, what take home message would you like rheumatologists to take from this editorial? In particular, how should we manage patients? with and without a history of VTE? How do you manage them? Yeah. Um, so I think we still need to be uh, open-minded. Um, obviously, more data will come with time. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, we just we say that clinicians have to make uh, an assessment of the patient's VTE and cardiovascular risk profile uh, for, all, for all the JAK inhibitors because there's still, uh, uh, we still need a greater understanding of the mechanism of how the JAK inhibitor could potentially lead to uh, a VTE. Uh, so we don't say that, uh, we, we think it's too early to conclude by looking at the current data that the second generation agents are free from risk. It might be that as more data comes in time, we, see a, uh, we, we may see that it is in fact a, a class-wide effect, uh, or it may not be. But given that VTEs are, you know, very potentially life-threatening, we have to we have to be open-minded. And say you have a patient, which we all have, who failed everything, and jacks are almost their last port of call, but they've got a terrible history of recurrent VTE over the years. What? How do you manage that person? So it would be a risk benefit discussion with the patient, but also if, if the patient is on an anticoagulant, you know that some of that risk is, um, uh, is, is uh, mitigated. Uh, but then there are other sides to it as well, like uh, potential uh, cardiovascular events, which may not be, which may not have that protection from being on an anticoagulant. So have you ever had to anticoagulate someone who's got no other choice but to go into a jack? Uh, that that I've that I've not seen before. No. Right. Well, I certainly have. Okay. So, um, take home message: weigh up risk and benefit. More data needed to understand from a mechanistic side because I'm not sure that's been done very well. Um, and we need real world data like Corona and the Swiss and the Swedish and and so on. And I'm. Are Jacks being patients on Jacks being enrolled into the British Society of Rheumatology Biologics Register? Or is that closed? Uh, I'd need to check that. I'd need to check that. Yeah, because we need that kind of data um, to help us, um, even though there'll be all kinds of issues with selection bias and who goes on to what drug and time in their journey as to what drug they've left with and what they've already tried, etc. But those kinds of things will be very important. Anything else you want <clears throat> to mention about um, this particular issue going forward? 
any future research you're going to do? Uh, no, and 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 but like you said, a very good uh, a very good marker is uh, retention, and that's something that we could look at in our own cohort of patients is the uh, the retention on 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 JAK inhibitors because it gives you a very good marker of uh, uh, adverse events, but also how how well the patient is tolerating it and how well it's working so that so we we have a very good database in our hospital on on patients on uh, uh, on each biologic and that's something that we could look at so thanks very much <clears throat> thanks again for your time me if you'd like to know more about this paper and others uploaded to the CSF website this month you can get detailed slides that are available in the publication section at cytokine signaling with two l's.com Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast media. Give it a review and let us know what you think. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you.